Have you ever walked past the dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster podcast with hosts Amy and Kevin. And we are coming back at you with episode 57, James Jameson and his cannibalistic adventures. Adventure? <laughs> I think it was just one adventure. Okay. So this episode is going to be a little bit different because Kevin did all the research for this one. And this, you know, we were we wanted to get a podcast out a little bit sooner than later. So we were like, oh, we talked about that Jameson one. Maybe people are interested in it. And Amy has no place talking about whiskey or cannibals. I don't think um, you have any place to be talking about cannibals either, but. Nonetheless. Whiskey, yes. Cannibals, no. Yeah. All right. Tell us what we need to know the next time we take a big swig of Jameson. Get ready, because I wrote this one, and it's going to be the best episode we've done yet. (laughs) So hold on. Okay. Whiskey. What's better than whiskey? Money? Power? Fame? Going on safari and paying to see cannibals kill and eat a 10-year-old girl? Whiskey is better than all these things is the right answer. And thanks for listening. (laughs) See you next time. (laughs) So in this episode, we explore how growing up with money and power can lead to a seriously depraved mind. Here's a quick history of how the Jameson dynasty began. And this is from Wikipedia. Because everything is now. So John Jameson was around for... Now? Wick is... (laughs) Wikipedia's been around for a while, sweetheart. (laughs) Anyways, John Jameson was around from 1740 to 1823. He was originally a lawyer from Aloha in Scotland before he founded his... Eponymous? Distillery in Dublin in 1780. How about every single time you mispronounce something, they have to take a drink? That's a better... Yeah. yeah. Okay. You're going to get very drunk on this. Previous to founding the distillery, he married Margaret Haig in 1768. She was the eldest daughter of John Haig, the famous whiskey distiller in Scotland. John and Margaret had a family of 16 children, eight sons and eight daughters. That's a lot. Very even, too. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's like the Brady Bunch. Yeah, except for not a blended family. Portraits of the couple by Sir Henry Rayburn are on display in the National Gallery of Ireland. Thanks, Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) The more you know. John Jameson joined the Convivial Lodge. Convivial. (laughs) Drink. 
and this was a lodge of the Dublin Freemasons on June 24th, 1774. And in 1780, Irish whiskey distillation began at Bow Street. In 1805, he was joined by his son, John Jameson II, who took over the family business that year. And for the next 41 years, John Jameson II built up the business before handing it over to his son, John Jameson III, in 1851. Not very inventive with the names, huh? Yeah, they're like George Foreman. Oh, yeah. In 1901, the company was formally incorporated as John Jameson and Son Limited. Four of John Jameson's sons followed his footsteps in distilling in Ireland. John Jameson II at Bow Street, William and James Jameson at Marrowbone, Marrowbone, excuse me. Drink. Marrowbone Lane. Old Marrowbone Lane in Dublin. So let me get this straight. This Irish whiskey company was founded by a guy from Scotland? Mm, yes. Okay. Just making sure. <laughs> For the purists. Nothing is what it seems in this world. So the fourth of Jameson's sons, Andrew, he had a small distillery at Enniscorthy, uh, in Wexford, and was the grandfather of <laughs> Guglielmo <laughs> Macaroni. Marconi. Oh, my gosh. He's drink, the, drink, Yeah, drink. he's the inventor of wireless telegraphy. Guglielmo? Guglielmo. Guglielmo. It's old Guglielmo. Tickle me, Guglielmo. Okay. So, John Jameson's eldest son, Robert, took over his father's legal business in Aloha, and the Jamesons became the most important distilling family in Ireland, despite rivalry between the Bow Street and Marrowbone Lane <laughs> distilleries. That mouthful. All right. I said that was going to be quick. It was painful. Sorry. Moving on. The Jamesons family, uh, they've been making whiskey through two world wars, an Irish Civil War, and the American Prohibition. Like, that doesn't matter to them, but... Once the world's number one producer of the life's elixir, now they hold the number three position in the world's whiskey production. What's number one and two? I think Bushmills is up there. Mm-hmm. And... Jack Daniels? No, I don't know. I think it's... Um, Maker's Park? Fireball. <laughs> this undoubtedly made the family super rich. Irish people have whiskey in their veins, not blood. So I hear. And maybe that's the reason that the great-great-grandson of John Jameson grew up to be a sociopath elitist twat. Allegedly. <laughs> James Jameson, the original Marky Mark, you know... Wait, which Jane... Okay, so James Jameson, not John Jameson. Okay. James, so that is like the great-great-grandson gotcha. of the OG. He was the heir to the family's fortune. Like many rich heirs of the time, Jameson considered himself something of, of an adventurer and would tag along on the expeditions of more accomplished explorers. It kind of reminds me of, remember when we did that Bakelite episode? With the woman who seduces her son. That's a, she rapes her son. I mean, I, I could say it one way or another. 
But the the father in that situation, he was the heir to the Bakelite, which the Bakelite company, which basically created plastic. And he went on adventures and stuff. Kind of reminds me of that. Like just rich kids who don't actually have to have jobs. Yeah. Arrested Development comes to mind. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So in 1888, he joined the Emin Pasha Relief Expedition, led by renowned explorer Henry Morton Stanley across Central Africa. The journey was ostensibly to bring supplies to Emin Pasha, the leader of an Ottoman province in Sudan that was cut off by a revolt. In reality, the expedition had a second purpose, to annex more land for the Belgian Free State colony in the Congo. Quote, The last six months have been the most miserable and useless I have ever spent anywhere, Jameson wrote. Ever since my childhood, I have dreamt of doing some good in the world and making a name which was more than an idle one. And I think he accomplished that. Varying accounts exist of the incident from Jameson's diary, his wife, and the translator on the trip. And this is the most popular account, but what they all agree on is that by June 1888, Jameson was in command of the rear column of the expedition at Rebakiba. Go ahead and drink. (laughs) A trading post deep in the Congo known for its cannibal population. They also say that Jameson was dealing directly with Tipu Tip, a slave trader and local fixer. So a fixer is a person who makes arrangements for other people, especially uh, of an illicit or devious kind. Hmm. So kind of a shady dude in a sketchy place. You don't say the slave trader was shady? Weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty weird. So according to Assad Faran, the Sudanese translator on the trip... Jameson expressed interest in seeing cannibalism firsthand. He said that... Not cool. Yeah, that's... uh, I don't know. That's pretty pretty fucking extreme. I mean, you can have a morbid, you know, morbidly curious mind, but seeking it out, I don't know. Whatever. What would Charlie Sheen say? Charlie Sheen would call the police. (laughs) He would. He should. Did the right thing. So... He said that Tipu then talked to the chiefs of the village and produced a 10-year-old slave girl who Jameson paid six handkerchiefs for. And, I, you know, you got to ask, who has six handkerchiefs on their person? People with re- real runny noses. He seems like a guy who would be, like, sickly with a runny nose. A leaky guy? Yeah, he's a little leaky. So according to a translator, the chiefs then said to their villagers, quote, this is a present from a white man who wishes to see her eaten. Ugh. <laughs> that is some privilege right there. The girl was tied to a tree, said Faran. The natives sharpened their knives. I really, sorry, I wonder if anybody tried to stop this. Or if they're like, yeah, you don't stop a white guy, especially like on a slave trading expedition of annexing land in the Congo. I don't know why they didn't cut him up and eat him. Yeah. You know, he's the only white dude around. (sighs) Anyways, keep going. So 
Ferran says the natives sharpened their knives, and then one of them stabbed this poor girl twice in the stomach. In James Jameson's own diary, he then wrote, quote, Three men then ran forward and began to cut up the body of the girl. Finally, her head was cut off, and not a particle remained, each man taking his piece away down the river to wash it. Mm. I think this dude, like, kind of bit off more than he can chew here. No pun intended. He's not <laughs> going to be eating it. I didn't even mean to say it. Like I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm bad. So everyone agrees on this other account, which is even more fucked up. The girl never screamed throughout the ordeal, like when they stabbed her and shit. The most, quote, the most extraordinary thing was that the girl never uttered a sound nor struggled until she fell, wrote Jameson. Jameson, in the meantime, made rough sketches of the horrible scenes. Yeah, that was kind of like his, like, I guess, I guess he was excuse. like some, his, like, he was like a, <sighs> so a lot of like these explorers back in the day who didn't want to get a job or didn't need to, a lot of their thing was that like, they wanted to write books and be scholars and stuff. And so they wanted to document things that had never been documented. And, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not super up on my like, 18th century literature or anything, but maybe cannibalism hadn't been documented in like a pictorial way. You know what I mean? But my theory on this is that he got off on it. Like he's trying to use the excuse of this being an academic endeavor to some extent, like a artistic academic endeavor. But I think realistically he was just like a fucking, you know, a privileged fucking degenerate. Yeah, and are masochists the one that like to see other people in pain? Uh, or is that a sadist? That's a sadist, yeah. Okay. Then he's just a fucking piece of shit sadist who's getting off on watching this girl be tortured, basically. And using, like, academics and art as a front for him being a sick fucko. Yeah, for sure. In his account in his diary and his wife's later account of the incident, the two attempt to play it off as though Jameson went along with the proceedings because he believed it to be a joke and could not imagine that the villagers would actually kill and eat a child. Well, what the fuck was he thinking was going to happen? He bought a girl for six handkerchiefs and gave her to cannibals. However, this account fails to explain why Jameson would pay exactly six handkerchiefs, likely in an amount he would have to had to procure for something he didn't believe would happen. Uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. It's not weird that he had six handkerchiefs. It's weird that you could buy a girl for six handkerchiefs. It'd be weird if he had like gold bars with him or something. Like I don't find the hanker like having the handkerchiefs on him. I don't think that's weird. I think it's weird that you can buy a person with six handkerchiefs. Well, back then, I guess the material was worth money. I mean, I don't think that's weird, but okay. I think that if he had three handkerchiefs, he would have offered them three. Like, it, I don't know. It's just, it's just weird. It's weird how that's phrased. So, some think the account of this crime is true, but James Jameson never faced justice. He died shortly after the accusations of this misconduct in 1888 from a fever he had contracted. Karma's a bitch. I wish he would have been eaten. That would have been more fitting. 
It would have been. Maybe next time. They they probably didn't want to. He was probably like an inbred fucking asthmatic freak. Jameson's family, with the help of the Belgian government, were able to hush up many of the atrocities. This mission became the last of its kind. So this was a super crazy time, too, with Belgium and the Congo. Non-scientific uh, civilian expeditions into Africa were suspended after this as well, though military and governmental ones would continue. So... I stumbled across this article from scienceblogs.com and thought it was pretty interesting. It's a kind of a, I don't know, I think it's a more realistic account of probably what happened. But So there are a few things you need to know before evaluating the story. First, it is true that almost all Americans and Europeans in the 18th and 19th century who had an interest in Africa knew with a high degree of certainty that the Africans were generally cannibalistic, even if not all of them were fully-fledged cannibals. This presumption, however, is untrue. It is simply something that people believed as part of the prevailing very racist attitude about Africa. Yeah, it's, it's easier to enslave people who you think are savages. So they just did this thing. It's just like the danger of a single story. Like, you know, there's one cannibalistic tribe in the bush... Therefore, all, you know, um, Africans on the continent are. And it, it justifies the enslavement of them and, and the annex annexing, which is a nice way of saying stealing um, of their land. You see this in other places as well, like uh, in like the Polynesian islands and the headhunter kind of trope, especially at the tiki bars we used to go to when you can go to a bar. Mm-hmm. It was assumed that natives around the world were cannibals, actually. And even we see the term cannibal being used here and there interchangeably with the word native. The second thing you need to know is that 19th century travelers' accounts and other documents were notoriously inaccurate and often designed for a purpose other than to convey the truth, such as self-aggrandizement or to disparage rivals. And it's kind of funny how some things don't change. The third thing you need to know is that by the time Jameson got to the village in question, the mainly middle to later 19th century practice of slave trading was in full swing in the interior of Central Africa. Mainly as part of a larger slave and ivory trade focusing on the Indian Ocean and probably North Africa. So there were villages of slave traders, some of whom were really shady characters, and the village Jameson visited was almost certainly one of them. This was during the period of colonial col <laughs> colonialism. This was during the period of colonialism in the Congo when there was a full-scale genocide starting out, orchestrated by the King of Belgium in utilizing such notable players as the famous Henry Morton Stanley. So if there were gruesome murders and even cannibalism, this would not have been normal for the local cultures. These things are documented in the book Heart of Darkness. By who? I can't recall. <laughs> Joseph Conrad. I haven't read it. But you've seen Apocalypse Now. I have seen that. It's, it's roughly based on that. So 
Another thing to know, even though it is very hard to find confirmed cases of cannibalism in the historic record for Central Africa, the idea of cannibalism is widespread. But you have to understand this in a cultural context. To help you understand this, I'm going to switch for a moment to the United States. In the U.S., we have serial killers. For every actual serial killer, there are probably a dozen stories about serial killers, some based on actual serial killers, some just made up in books and movies. We seem to be very interested in serial killers. We teach our children to avoid strangers because some of them might be bad people. And the idea of a stranger being a serial killer, as opposed to, say, a rapist or something, is absolutely part of that concern. So, in the U.S., we fear serial killers, amuse ourselves with stories of serial killers, and even teach our children to avoid them. But we also love horror movies like Friday the 13th and Halloween. So, mentally fucked, I guess. So does that mean that all Americans are serial killers? In Africa, there are many stories of cannibals. Many traditional Africans fear cannibalism and think it's fairly common and consider this to be something to avoid and instruct children about. There are probably many more actual serial killers in the U.S. than there are actually actual cannibals in Africa. Of course, some of the American serial killers have been cannibals, and that may be the case in Africa too. But the point is, these two things, serial killing and cannibalism, are sort of real, but in fact very, very rare, and are blown, they're blown way out of proportion by the cultures in the two regions. Now, another thing to know is the Jameson story is known from two places. One is the account written by someone who probably wanted to damage Jameson. Bush, uh, Mill, or whatever. Jack Daniel <laughs> himself. And this was later promoted by a major rival, Mr. Stanley himself. The other comes from Jameson's documents, uh, assembled and conveyed by his widow after his death. In the first story, the one written by the Jameson haters, Jameson asked to have a demonstration of cannibalism and does the, you know, six handkerchiefs. And it sounds cheap, but I guess, the yeah, like I said, the value in cloth of, the, of that cloth in the 19th century was quite high. So we all know that version. The second version from Jameson indirectly, I guess. Uh, How? It was from his, uh, the account from his widow after he died. Oh, okay. All right. It's probably from his diaries and stuff. Something like this did happen, but he did not knowingly pay for a slave. There were handkerchiefs what? involved. I so, dropped these handkerchiefs on the ground and they tossed a girl at me. So that he, sounds skittin'. So Sorry. he paid for something, apparently not knowing it was for a slave. Mm. This girl was killed and butchered, but there was no clear evidence she was eaten. It was not done at his request. He was, he was, I guess he was aghast and horrified. And also, it happened very quickly. And Did given he the sketch situation, it? Did he sketch it? I don't know. Okay, so that hasn't been confirmed. Yeah. Because it'd be like, I'm aghast and horrified. Hold on. Let me get a pen. Yeah. And apparently, it was one of those things like where he was powerless to stop it, you know. So, more recent write-ups of this event seem to make the assumption that the more gruesome version of this story is real. 
And in those write-ups, we see lame excuses for things like there has never been any evidence that paintings were ever produced or existed in any form. There's a sketch easily found on the web, supposedly actually drawn by Jameson, but I'm skeptical it's legit. So what do you think? How, how do you think it went down? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess the widow's account. I would go with the translator because the widow has something prote to protect. You know what I mean? True. I go with whatever the translator says, and I think the translator's version was the most gruesome one. Yeah. He has, the, he has nothing to prove or disprove. You know what I mean? I don't think he's going to get paid for it or not paid for it. He just worked for them. So I go with whatever the interpreter says. This, this, the whatever that guy, Far Faron guy. It just makes me think of like those movies like Hostel and stuff. And there's definitely places in around the world where rich people go to pay money to torture people. That's a thing. Yeah. And so this is like an old version of that, I feel like, you know. I think that even well-behaved, even well-meaning people, if put into situations where shit can fly and they have these little morbid sociopathic fantasies and they think that they're not going to get caught, they'll do whatever the fuck they want in that moment. You know what I mean? Because also, like, rich people, I mean, it reminds me of that short story, The Most Dangerous Game. It's like rich people get bored because you can just buy whatever you want. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, And so there is that idea of, like, the biggest taboo, which is killing and eating humans or hunting humans for game. Adrenochrome. <sighs> but I'm just saying, like, have you read The Most Dangerous Game? <clears throat> That's where they hunt humans, right? Yeah, it's 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 a rich guy on an island who hunts humans because he's basically, you know, defeated the animal kingdom. Like right. he's, and so he wants to. Man is the most dangerous game exactly. of all. Exactly. So I mean, obviously that's a fan a fantasy. It's 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 fictional, but it all I'm saying is that it wouldn't surprise me. It's not like it would be like totally out of the question that a rich guy is bored with his life and wants to see something utterly fucked up and then you have like whatever for it yeah, you know you have the epsteins and all those kind exactly and i mean prince andrew and if and especially you know this is obviously pre-internet and pre-documenting things and pre he probably thought he was going to get away with it and was maybe you know the the translator guy was like yeah i ain't, I ain't gonna let this shit fly it was fucked you know Probably shouldn't have sketched the crime scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's as bad as taking a photo, but it takes like six hours. Or wearing glittery G-unit pants to a robbery. Correct. Or a buffalo head to a fucking <laughs> takedown. That was a photo op. All right. So that that's basically it with this sordid tale. Yeah, so the next time you drink... You know, I a glass full of Jameson. Think about what you're supporting. <laughs> you know what? I I actually I cruised the the Reddit boards looking for some juicy details, and all I found were people vowing never to drink Jameson again. And it's not like 
I mean, this happened a long time ago. It's not like five years ago, you know, the Jameson family. Like, this is hundreds of years ago. It's not like the Jameson Whiskey Company was founded on cannibalism and murder. (laughs) I know. He was like the fourth, right? He was like the fourth generation. Yeah, yeah. Third or fourth. So it's not like it was his company. He was just some rich kid living off of the Jameson buck. And he's well done gone. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You can join our True Crime Dumpster Facebook group, True Crime Dumpster. Follow us on Twitter, TC Dumpster, and on Instagram, True Crime Dumpster. You can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. And listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, and any other listening platform you can find. We're probably on there. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast. Every review, rating, and referral helps us to get to a larger audience. That's it for this week. It's a short one, but we'll be back next week with a longer one that I think is going to be pretty fucked. So, you know, that's how we do it here. That's it for now. See you next time. Where we keep talking out the trash. Bye-bye. See ya.